Amen. You may be seated. And good morning, church family. See if you can hear me here. And uh, no, Luke is not sick. Luke is here. And he'll be at 1015 service with all the kids. It's going to be awesome because with the kids up here, it could go bad at any moment, <laughs> which makes it so much fun. And uh, so 1015, uh, Luke will be up here and teaching. And so we got like a timeshare today. I get the eight o'clock service and uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter seven. And I know the scriptures normally on the screen and that that will happen eventually. But just grab your Bible, head to Isaiah chapter seven on the screen or in the bulletin. You can see that I wanted to start actually in verse seven but I'm going to start in verse 1. And then when we get to verse 7, I'll stand up, all right? How about this? I'll lead you, you just participate. Wait, you didn't agree. Nobody agreed to that. Okay. You're like, humbug, we're not doing anything you say. All right, I'll lead, I'll tell you when to stand, we're going to read. Deal? Okay, deal. All right, this is called communication. Good job. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, and I'm going to just read 1 through 3. And, and kind of talk about it until we get to our main scripture. In Isaiah 1, Isaiah, sorry, chapter 7, verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah. Aren't you glad you get all this? Yeah, the king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told that Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And, and you know, okay, we're going to pause there, right? This, this is what's happening. The two kings are actually wanting to take over uh, Ahaz, as his kingship, he's in Judah, he is the king, and so they're mounting a league, like everybody, let's get this guy off the throne, and this is why, because they want to go to war against Assyria, okay, and this king of Judah doesn't want to, he wants to align, and he does, he makes a covenant with the king of Assyria to actually destroy the other two kings, okay? So when they find out that there's a league against them and they're going to besiege Jerusalem or siege it, this is where they just surround it, nothing in, nothing out, and they just try and starve it out. They're trying to besiege it. When they hear that there's like a band of kings coming against them, they shake like trees in the wind. And if you were outside or around yesterday, you saw the shaking, right? It was windy? Okay. Okay. We're getting there, folks. This is, we're here for an hour. <laughs> okay. All right. So, one through three, we see that Isaiah is sent to King Ahaz. Now, in verse three here, I'm going to keep reading. And the Lord said to Isaiah, and listen to how he says it. Go out to meet Ahaz, which is the king. You and Shir Jeshuab, which is your son. So this is Isaiah. I want you to take your son with you, and I want you to go before the king. 
and at the end of the conduit of the upper pool of the highway of the washer's field. He's telling them the exact location. And in verse 4, say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart faint. Because of the two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Now, this is the, uh, a picture of the two kings. They're banding to come against him. And, and firebrands fire is like two troublemakers, right? Like, so be, be careful. These two troublemakers at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ramali, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramallah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves set up the son of Tobiel as king in the midst of it. So right there, we're, I'm trying to paint this picture that, okay, Isaiah is told to go and talk to King Ahaz. King Ahaz is surrounded by armies. He's wanting to align with the Syrians, which is like aligning with some of the biggest haters of God there is in this land. But this is Judah. How many of you know this is God's country? Right? Okay. Thank you. One of, all right. We'll move along then. All right. So, and he's told to take his son, and I want you to get that. He's got his son with him. Okay. Now let's stand and let's read, starting in verse 7. Chapter 7, verse 7. And I'm going to read till 17. So stay standing, even if it's not on the screen, but hopefully you got your Bible. Okay. Verse 7, thus says Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And with 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from just being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramallah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put to the Lord the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men? That you are weary, you're wearying my God also? Verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land in whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days have not come since the days that Ephraim departed from Judah, and here it is, the king of Assyria. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your truth, your word. And Lord, we thank you that it is a word for the people of that day. But Lord, it is a word for us today. And it was also a word that Matthew wrote down for your birth. For your incarnation. For the true Emmanuel. God with us. 
So Lord, just help our hearts to hear your truth, to see how you deal with your people and speak to our hearts. We love you and we thank you for your truth, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, I went through it pretty quick here, but uh, in verse 7, it starts talking about uh, how he was supposed to respond. This is Isaiah, respond to the king. Be quiet. Well, first, be careful. Be quiet and do not fear. Right? So he's got his son with him, and I want to keep bringing that point up because it's going to make a big difference. But here in verse 7, he's telling him, and, and this is what I'm going to say about King Ahaz. He's telling, Isaiah's telling King Ahaz. And I'm going to call him the dweeb, okay? Okay, thank you for letting me. All right, so he's a dweeb because it means a certain thing. It means you make bad choices, but his name in itself means he that possesses. He that takes, he that possesses. So he's getting a message here from the Lord from Isaiah and the Lord's telling him, you know, be careful, be quiet, do not fear. Now, I know Isaiah's speaking to the king, but the message is still clear today. What do we have to fear, God's people? What do we have to fear? Nothing. Does he ever tell you to be still, to be quiet? Do you think he knows what's going on and he's going to fight for him? Do you think he knows what's going on in your life and he's going to fight for you? Do you know him that well? Do you know his promises? Ahaz has it spoken to him. Hmm. Imagine God speaking right to you, but here's the truth. He is. He's speaking to us in his word. He's speaking through his word. He's speaking through other people. Every week, Pastor Luke is getting up here, and he's prophesying, which is a word for the now that convicts our heart, and he's speaking truth that both is uh, for the now and for the future because the truth doesn't change. And this is the same as Isaiah. He is a prophet, and prophets speak to the people Convicting hearts, convicting them now, but also speaks a truth way beyond his time. And we can look back and see how God unfolds that truth for them, but also for us. So this is the sign of Emmanuel. It's cool to see that there's a sign that God gives us. But right here for Ahaz, I want you to see the king actually listens to these words, and then verse, well, before I get there, let me explain King Ahaz, okay. He is the king, as I said, of Judah. He's, he has a 16-year reign. He's an evil king. I mean, he doesn't have the favor of God. He's not, on, he's not even on God's team. In fact, God is actually grateful that he doesn't even ask for a sign because it frustrates him so much, he's like, okay, then I'm going to give you something. And he gives, like, Messiah sign, correct? Have you heard this before? Behold, the virgin shall conceive, right? We go over this through Christmas. And, and there's something really amazing here that 
He's like, I'm going to give you a sign. You, I'm glad you didn't ask for one. He tries, Ahaz tries to act all pious. Like, God says to you, ask for a sign all the way from Sheol, whether the depths or to the heavens. Ask a sign anywhere in between there. Do you think you might ask something? And, and he's not wrong. He's trying to be pious and say, well, I don't want to put the Lord God to the test. What? Do you know that, okay, King Ahaz took his son and made him pass through the fire, which means he's sacrificing his own children to other gods. You don't want to put God to the test? Because, to ask for a sign, but you're going to burn your kids? To other gods. Do you think he's pious? You could say no. He, he is so involved with the king of Assyria. He's already, in 2 Kings, it says he's already taken tribute from the house of God. He's taken gold from the house of God. And then he's gone to his treasury and taken gold, loaded all that up, went to the king of Assyria and says, I vow myself to you to be your servant. Come and fight against those that are surrounding me and deliver me. Who's he seeking deliverance from? God? Do you think he's pious? Do you think he's trying to, like, I'm not going to test God. That's all you've ever done in your kingship is test God. And God is showing up saying, guess what, Jack? You're going to be removed. I'm going to use Assyria because I'm God and I fight for Judah. I like how God even puts it, these two smoldering stumps that you're so scared of, they'll just cease to exist because God's going to do it. And see, I call Ahaz a dweeb because I can be just like this dweeb. Where I, like, life hits and I go and search all these ways and all these man's methods of how am I going to have peace and safety in my life. And God is just standing there and saying, hey, wait, what about me? Where are you going to lean on me? Are you going to lean on the scripture? Are you going to take control? Are you going to vow yourself to another? Are you going to go into a covenant with someone that only wants to harm you? Your very enemy? And the, the saying here is true. The enemy of my enemy is what? Your friend? Maybe I'm the only one that's heard that. I hope you would finish it. So the enemy of my enemy is my... This is the scenario. And the, the same thing he did was just make God his enemy. The enemy of your enemy is your friend. It's still your enemy... God is the only one that is your friend. So Ahaz, in the sum, he's given himself up to wickedness, idolatry. The only, in Isaiah 38, 8, really the only, and you can look this up, the only good thing that this man did was have a sundial. That's it. And in and, and Isaiah 38, 8, Hezekiah is king, and he's like, he's going to die. And God's like, I'm going to give you 15 more years of life. And guess what? 
Ahaz's sundial is going to draw back 10 clicks. Like, okay, what? God, you're going to do something impossible? You're going to take a sundial and draw it back so God rewind time? God did something pretty amazing, didn't he? Okay. This is the only value that Ahaz Ahaz has contributed as a sundial, but I can tell you what, it measures time. He's got a great sign. Whoa, I almost went down. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Don't give me mouth to mouth either. Just let me go home, okay? (laughs) I want that clear. (laughs) Okay. Now I'm thinking of do not resuscitate, and I can't. All right. (laughs) I'm like, my wife is not in the building. I'm going to see Jesus. Okay. Here we go. So this king Ahaz, he gets an amazing sign. And it's not just a sign for him. It's a sign about Jesus to the disciples, who he is. It's a sign to us of Emmanuel. We celebrate it every year, the incarnation. So verse 10, it says, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask for a sign, and look at this wording. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Isaiah is telling him to ask your God. But let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz in his piety, right, we'd established not true. He doesn't ask. He doesn't want to put the Lord to the test. But then in 13, he says, hear then, O house of David. Wait, I thought he was speaking to Ahaz. He is. But this is the lineage. This is the king who... Of Ahaz. Ahaz is the king of Judah, which is the lineage of David, house of David. This is where Jesus' lineage is going to come. And he says, Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God? Do you see the difference? Ask your God a sign. He rejects it. Nope, not going to ask. No, ask your God for a sign. He says, Nope, I'm not going to ask. And he says, You're wearying my God. It's no longer his God. He has rejected him over and over and over. He's not even worshiping him as God. So therefore, he's rejected. And then God says, therefore, the Lord himself. This isn't because he asked. This is because God wants to tell you something. He's like, listen up, Jack. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now pause there for a second. Okay. We do a little bit of like a, a review. Who does Isaiah, when he's prophesying this, have with him? Do you remember this? His son. Okay. He has his son there. God told him, hey, go talk to Ahaz. It's up by the conduit, the water, the highway place. Take your boy. How old's the boy? Don't know. But guess what? He's with him, and he's like going to prophesy. He's headed to work. He's like, I'm going to talk for God, and I'm supposed to take my son. Guess what? I think this is me. This is my opinion. His wife is in tow holding a baby. And this is why, because if you go to chapter 8, verse 3, 
It says, I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Marashalal Ajabaz. Whew, okay, good name. For before the boy knows how to cry mother or father, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. This is the sign is that there's going to be a child, right? So how long does it take a child to develop? Nine months, okay? We're, okay, nine months. How long does it say, take a child to say mom or dad? Give me an estimate. A year? Okay, cool. What's cool is I think my daughter said dad at seven months. We were practicing. She nailed it, all right? So let's, let's say uh, it's a year. Let's say a year and nine months. Isaiah is standing there telling the king, right? Hey, God's going to give you a sign. This young lady, baby in tow, this young lady is going to have a child. All right? And the Hebrew says, young lady, this is the big debate. Does this mean Jesus? Or was he talking about Ahaz's wife? Or was he talking about Isaiah's wife? He's got his son, and he's like, this lady that has the baby in her arms, she's going to have a child. This is going to be the sign that she's going to give birth. And before that baby can say, mommy or daddy, king of Syria is wiping it out. Okay? Do you see the sign? Do you see the prophecy? This has just happened one chapter later. Chapter 7, 3, he's got the babies in tow. His name, let me get this. They're really weird, but his name means... Uh, not Emmanuel, but his name means plunder speeds and spoil hastens. Yeah, how would you like that? Hey, plunder speeds, spoil hastens, time for supper. Come on in. I mean, think about, okay, this, he's naming him because this little child is the sign for Ahaz that he sees child number one is with him at the prophecy. Child number two is a young lady that is a prophetess that has a child, and they name him the plunder and spoil baby. And Ahaz can look at him and say, before that child says, Mom or Dad, this is going to happen. God gave us a sign. He, so Isaiah prophesies for Ahaz, this is your sign. But how many of you know this is talking about more than just child number two? Raise your hand if you know. Okay, thanks, Luke. All right. You, what, what is the third child this Bible scripture is talking about? 714. Does anybody know? Yeah, it's Jesus. Here's the thing. I've messed this up. I, I was like growing up, I was like King James only, right? You're going to hell if you read any other version. That's what I was taught, right? They're all, that's just straight from the pit of hell if you read any other version. And King James interpreted this as virgin. Behold, this virgin will give a sign. We know that that is Jesus. But that doesn't help King Ahaz. Right? So there's a young lady there. And young lady can mean maiden of marriageable age that is then put on her virgin. Okay? King Ahaz got a sign of child number two. His name is plunder speeds and spoil hastens. That means King Assyria is coming. They got a child. When we fast forward, and maybe I'm wearing you out, we fast forward 
to Jesus. Oh, and I got time. We're not, there's no way we're fast forwarding. Okay. So go with me to chapter 8. Look at verse 18. Well, if you're in chapter 8, I guess let's even start at 8. And it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. Its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. This is the flood that is going to happen that is Assyria. It's coming in. And it says, Oh, Emmanuel, oh, God with us. Be broken, you people. Be shattered. Give ear, all of you countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. For Emmanuel, God is with us. He keeps saying this over and over, and then it's, it's telling us in verse 18... Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and protents in Israel from the Lord of hosts. So this is Isaiah speaking. He had one son with him in the prophecy. And he says, Behold, I and the children that God has given to me are witnesses to you. It's two. What's so wonderful about this scripture of Isaiah saying he had one, he's got two, the second one's the sign to Ahaz. Hebrews pulls this scripture, this very verse, 18, out and says it about Jesus. Behold, I and the children you have given me. Hebrews is telling us right here about Jesus. He's unpacking it for us that Jesus is calling out that he is God with us. He's Emmanuel, the God with us. But wait, didn't, did they name him Emmanuel? Or, or, or did I catch you thinking? Did they name him Emmanuel? You, okay, I'm not moving on until you're ready. Did they name Jesus Emmanuel? Okay, we all know the answer, so you're saying... Stop treating us dumb. The answer is no. But Jesus' name means salvation. He is salvation. He is the rescue. He's the redeemer. If he isn't Emmanuel, he's not the Savior. Do you understand this? If he's not Emmanuel, he's not our Savior because he has to be God. When we start talking about this scripture, we talk about this young lady gave a sign. But when we start talking about Jesus, we move into a virgin birth. Pastor Luke has brought this up, Genesis 3. God is handing out punishments, and he tells Satan, Luke has said this the last two weeks, that when God is handing out punishments to Satan, he says, behold, the woman's seed, Right? The woman's seed will crush your head and you only nip at her heels. But he also says in there, the woman's seed and your seed will have enmity. There's, there's no man 
involved in the birth of Jesus Christ. It is a virgin birth. There is no Savior. There is no Emmanuel if there's a man involved. Do you understand? Child number three is so holy, he's directly the seed of God. And not because there was anything other than the Holy Spirit and the Almighty God's power overshadowed Mary. There was no physical needed. What is impossible with men, we can't hardly fathom virgin birth is possible with God. The true Emmanuel. I also think of the scripture, John 1, 12. It says, but to all who did receive, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. The virgin birth is so important that if you don't believe it, things fall apart. There, there is beliefs and dogma and structure out there that says uh, that Mary was the Immaculate Conception. Have you ever heard this? Do you know what they just celebrated Friday? The Feast of the Immaculate Conception. How many of you, raise your hand if you've heard that about Jesus. The Immaculate Conception. Okay. I too, I was like, oh, the Immaculate Conception. Yeah, that's all about Jesus, right? He was immaculate. No. The belief is that when Mary was conceived with a man and a woman that right when the embryo were touching, there was a holiness from God that she was the immaculate conception. That she was born without original sin. She was not born in a natural way. And so they give to her a holy birth. Why? So that she could have Jesus? That's the belief. How do you get rid of original sin without baptism? She wasn't baptized. So something had to happen at her birth that she was the immaculate conception. And it's like, no, let's go back to what Isaiah, it's a son, it's Emmanuel, it's Jesus, it's not Mary. What happened to Mary was God's grace and power did it all. I don't have to believe in a miracle birth of Mary, I need to believe in the miracle birth of Jesus Christ because God put his divine nature incarnate, in flesh, in life, encased in Jesus Christ. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. She was a virgin. She didn't know a man. In fact, Matthew says it this way, that before her Betrothed husband knew her, right? Before he knew her, she was found to be pregnant. And he's like, oh, my stars, Mary, you could be killed for this. I, I could just tell everybody you're an adulterer. According to the law, they're going to take you out and they're going to kill you. I love you so much. I'm just going to put you away quietly because I love you and I'm not going to say anything to anybody. But God intervened and he said, do not put her away. What is conceived in her is holy. <laughs> All right. It's incarnation. The package is Jesus. Now I want to come to you. Is Jesus incarnate in you?
Is the package of Jesus Christ in your earthen vessel? This jar of clay that we all are, the Bible says. Do you have a treasure in there that is the holy nature, the divine nature of God? The Holy Spirit in you, Jesus Christ in you. Is he incarnate in you? I hope you can say yes. It's the greatest gift. <laughs> Romans 5 talks about this, and I'm just, I won't read it all because um, now I am short on time. Okay, I won't read it all, but I, I have it like a summary. The death that came through Adam, Romans 5 unpacks that as the first Adam brought a curse. The first Adam brought death. The first Adam, he brought transgression, trespasses, judgment, condemnation, disobedience, sinners, Law, sin, death, all of that abound on the first Adam. The virgin birth, the new Adam, the new Jesus, not with no man, just the woman's seed. He's a free gift. It goes on to say that he's the one who justifies. He's a free gift of righteousness. The life through one man, Jesus Christ, became life for all. The one, Jesus Christ, came and was obedient and showed the way for all. The grace through him would abound even more of God's favor on us. Grace will reign in righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the incarnate gift of God in us. Colossians says it. Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. Is he incarnate in you? He must be born without the seed of man. Nicodemus and Jesus wrestled this. You've got to be born again. How do I go back into my mother's womb and get born? He's like, knock it off. You're thinking naturally. He's like, this is from above. Born from above. If we have it and we have Jesus... Are we going to tell it on the mountain? <laughs> Sometimes the way I get to shouting, you probably think I'm on a mountain trying to share it, but I got a microphone. <laughs> All right. All of this, the Bible's very clear about the version ver. Now I can't even say it. Because I used to say all the time, if your version of the Bible doesn't say virgin, you got the wrong Bible. If we're not clear about the virgin birth, I'd like to talk to you more. But the incarnation of Jesus is what happens to each of us. And then I'm going back to Isaiah chapter 7. Go to verse 9, chapter 7, verse 9. And I, I even underlined it. Well, I underlined it and pink highlighted it. This is the Lord's decree. If you're not firm in faith, you'll not be firm at all. Did you hear that? If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Church family, we're desperate for the rock. 
that firm foundation. God's telling us, sure up your faith. Sure it up. Why? Because the armies are surrounding. People are quaking like trees in the wind. Who, who goes with us? You don't have to answer. Who goes for us? Who's with us? Who's our refuge and strength? Who's our rock? Who are we standing on? Who are we firm on? And no matter what, this world is going to try and convince you and me that this is not real. But here's the truth that God's telling us. This is the reality. We're living the dream. This is temporary. These things are eternal. Get to the rock. And if you're not firm in your faith, you won't even be firm at all. Settle it. Jesus in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you for your truth about the rock of ages, but also, Lord, the truth about Jesus. Living, breathing, having his being in us. And Lord, even the scripture shows us that your word is alive and living. It's both for the time and the day and the future and the truth of now. Forgive us, Lord, when we seek out our own ways, our own plans, how to work it all out, how to make a covenant with this and do this and do that. And Lord, we weary you. Forgive us. Step in and let us be a people that humbly, truly, willfully submit to you and obey you. Thank you for your grace that steps in and gives us the power. Thank you for the Holy Spirit living in us that confirms we're your children. We love you. We thank you for your divine nature. We thank you for that seed, the very spirit that was in Jesus Christ is in us. Grow us, shape us, mold us more into the image of your son. We have this beautiful treasure. May we share it with those around us freely as you freely shared it with us. We love you. We thank you for calling us out in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family, Merry Christmas. Let's stand and let's worship.